Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're transitioning now into the ending chapters of the book. And we've seen one of the major theological themes of chapters 1 through 11 is God's bringing together Jew and Gentile in Messiah Jesus. And now we'll see that unity of Jew and Gentile become one of the major practical themes of the rest of the book. Chapter 12 begins with the practical application of all the great theology we've learned so far. Here we will see God's call to worship, to holiness, to love, unity in the church. We're also going to see that belief and behavior are interwoven. They're woven together, belief and behavior. What you believe drives how you act, drives how you behave, what you do. And they're interwoven together. And what we're really going to see here in chapter 12 and, and throughout the rest of the book is the practical application of the greatest commandment of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the scripture says you can't love God whom you don't see if you can't love your neighbor who you do see. Right? So a clear indication of how much you're loving God is how much you're loving your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a minute. It is love for God and our neighbor that drives us to the humility and service to each other that results in unity in the body of Christ. And that's what we're going to start digging into here in Romans chapter 12. Let's start at verse 1. It's the Apostle Paul writing, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Some translations say well-pleasing or pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so let's, let's pause there and dig into these first two verses. We've seen Paul emphasize the mercy of God throughout the book so far, especially at the end of chapter 11. Go back just a little bit to chapter 11, verse 30. And we're going to see this. He's really driving home God's mercy so that we understand it. He says, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Remember, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles and, and all of those things. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. There's a lot of talk about mercy here. He's trying to emphasize the mercy of God. For God has consigned all to disobedience, Jew and Gentile, that he may have mercy on all, all of us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How 
unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And so he's driving home this point of mercy. God has shown us all great mercy. So what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is, is, is not getting what you deserve. We all deserve wrath for our sins. And, and God has shown us mercy. He has withheld that wrath from us. He put it on Jesus. And so the appeal to holiness here in chapter 12, it's based on God's mercies to us. It's not based on duty or law-keeping or obligation or ritual or religion or anything like that. It's based on God's mercy. You know, he could have said, you know, I appeal to you to be good religious Christians and, and do this. I appeal to you based on the law of Moses to do this. You know, he could have appealed based on any one of these types of, you know, worldly religious things or things you should do or ought to do. You feel obligated to do, guilty to do. <coughs> that's religion. That, that's what religion is. And look at any world religion. It's all these steps of things you have to do in order to, you know, be right with the, with the universe or whatever. <laughs> You know, you can go and look. They all have a system. They all have a process. They all got the steps. That's religion. But he doesn't appeal to that at all. He's like, that, that's not what matters. He's appealing to our relationship with Jesus. By the mercy of God, I appeal to you. God has shown you mercies, bro mercy, brothers. So by the mercies of God, I appeal to you to do all these things he's about to tell us. God saved you and me by his gracious choice. Paul's appealing to that. Christ died on the cross for your sins to take the penalty you deserve and the death you deserve on himself. Each one of us deserved death and wrath. He gave us life instead. That is the mercy of God. I want that to sink in this morning. That is the mercy of God. Just think about it. <coughs> think about it. Here, here's an illustration that might help. So there are times when my children disobey. They're all homesick with colds, so they're not here to to tell the true stories and all that good stuff. They're watching here on the Zoom probably. They're like, oh gosh, there he goes. <laughs> there are times when my, my children disobey, believe it or not. They're not perfect. And there are times when, you know, they deserve a spanking for that. And so, hey, you know, we we'll sit down, we have our little talk and you know, Tell me why you deserve a spanking. We go through the whole thing. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> and they eventually get it out. Like, okay, this is why. Yeah, they know. It's like, well, you know, <clears throat> you, you disobeyed. So I need to, there's punishment for that. And I'm going to have to give you a spanking for that. They're like, oh, crying already, right? The, the tears are already running down. There's more tears from the fear of the spanking than the actual spanking. That's always how it goes. And, you know, there are times when I've been in that situation and I'm like, I'm going to teach them this lesson about mercy. 
And so in that moment, when, the, when it's time for the paddle to strike, I take that paddle and I hit my own arm. Bam, whack, whack, whack. And they look back at me like, what are you doing? Like on that one, I took the penalty that you deserved. You deserved the spanking. There had to be a spanking given for there to be justice. But I took it. It's a lesson in mercy. Showing them mercy. I took it on myself, the penalty they deserve. Now all the kids out here are like, man, I wish mom and dad could do that. <laughs> Remember what Pastor Ryan said? Take that one on yourself, dad. Is this one of those times you can take that one on yourself? But that's a lesson in mercy, right? And it, it's like, wow. Wow, that really hits home. That's what mercy is. <laughs> Anything, brother. <clears throat> you know, there's another illustration, too, um, about how we should would, would feel in that situation. Like, how do you feel in that situation? Like, wow, thank you, Dad. Because that was going to hurt. And it hurt me. Like, there's a red mark and everything. I don't like to make it light. Like, this is what was going to happen. And it hurts harder on the arm than it does in the other places. <laughs> I speak for experience on that. So you feel grateful, right? You feel like, wow, man, that was amazing. You feel grateful. So I was thinking about this, you know, my, my kids and I, we watched Andy Griffith every night on MeTV at eight o'clock. Uh, and, and there's this episode where, where Andy saves Gomer Pyle's life. Some of you who watch that show, you know what I'm talking about. And this, this is what I was thinking, like, that's how you feel when you've been shown mercy like that. When someone has, like, saved your life. God has saved our lives. And so Andy saves Gomer's life. And the whole rest of the episode, Gomer just follows him around like a little puppy dog. Anything for you, Andy, you saved my life. You know, he's so grateful. He's not doing that. So he, he's, like, in the middle of the night cutting wood for him. And he's, like you know, fixing his car and painting the house and vacuuming in the middle of the night, like all this stuff that's driving Andy crazy, just bugging him to death. And Gomer's not doing all this because he's, well, you know, you, I have to because you saved my life. No, Gomer, you know, his spirit is like, oh, anything for you, Andy. Anyone for the one who saved my life. <laughs> over and over again, it's not a chore to Gomer to offer that service. It's not a duty or an obligation or something he feels guilty to do. He's like, anything for you, Andy. You know, it's cheerful. It's joyful. It's like, ah, nothing else matters in life right now than pleasing Andy who saved my life. And I think that's what Paul is driving to in these verses. He's appealing to us by the mercies of God. God saved our lives through faith in him and so appealing to that mercy and grace how much more should we worship god and love god and just be poured out with anything for you jesus who saved my life with a smile on our face yes jesus anything for you who saved my life you know, those of us that have been believers for a while, we, we tend to take the mercy of God for granted. We do. We just kind of live our lives for ourselves every day, day to day, not really thinking on or even really thanking God much for his mercy and the salvation that we have. 
And so realizing that we deserve death and wrath, but God has given us life and peace. Paul is saying, offer your whole life to God as a living sacrifice. It's a whole life offering. And the underlying thrust of these verses is that Christians, Jew and Gentile alike, we now all offer to the one true God the full and final sacrificial worship in which Israel's worship was, was made complete. It, it's an echo back to chapter 9, verse 4. It's all summed up in this new spiritual worship of God in Messiah Jesus. Remember back in chapter 9, verse 4, he said this. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So he's taking us back to the, the worship belonged to them. They would do the temple worship. So now what he's saying is the new worship is a spiritual worship. It's not about animal sacrifices as it once was. The foundation of all Christian obedience is that those in Christ indwelt by the spirit, we are to offer to God the true sacrificial worship to which all that temple worship and tabernacle worship, all of it pointed to this, to Jesus. They were shadows pointing forward to what things were going to be under Jesus and the new covenant. Worship was one of Israel's privileges, which we saw in chapter 9, verse 4. Now he makes it clear that this worship is now offered by all of us, all Christians, Jew and Gentile alike. Now it's interesting. Think about the temple worship. Think about the temple worship. We, we saw that you know, there, there were animal sacrifices involved, right? You'd bring the spotless animal, your best, your first and your best. The firstborn had to be taken. It was all the best and first of what you had. You took it to the temple and the animal was ritually slaughtered and then burned up as a sacrifice. Now, it's interesting. This, the animal sacrifices, they're no longer required. We've been saying that over and over again, right? We no longer require animal sacrifices. Now that's all stopped. But it's not technically and entirely true if you really think about what Paul has just told us here. Animal sacrifices actually are still required. And you're like, what are you talking about? Glad you asked. But the animals, they're not sheep and goats and bulls and doves, and those types of things, they're people, they're human. They're human living sacrifices that aren't ritually slaughtered anymore. They're human living sacrifices. You and me are offered up. We're presented to God still alive. Still alive. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We present our bodies as Christian worshipers to God as a living sacrifice. That's what he just said here in Romans chapter 12, right? Verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual worship. We present our whole self to God as a sacrifice to him. 
body, mind, and soul. And then he says, this is actually pleasing to God. It's well-pleasing. Our translations say holy and acceptable. But the word here for acceptable carries a meaning of pleasure and pleasing. It's pleasing to God when we do this. Christian worship and obedience and holiness and unity, all of that working together, pleases God very much. So you want to make God happy? Do this. It brings pleasure to the Lord. You can make God happy. And this complete human worship is our spiritual worship, body, mind, and soul worship. And so what he's telling us here is, you know, what we do and how we think it really, really matters. How we behave, what we think, it matters. It really matters. He says in verse two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he's going on here. He's taking it further. This is about a heart and mind of worship. What's the state of your heart and your mind? Are you in a state of worship to the Lord Jesus, to God? It says, don't be conformed to this world. So you've, you've all felt this. You know, this world tries to squeeze us into a mold, kind of from all sides, right? All sides. The world's constantly pressing in on us to make us like the world. And as humans, you know, our human nature is to go with that, right? We don't want to feel different. We don't want to feel outside. We have this longing in our hearts to fit in, right? You see it all the time. You know, you start hanging around a certain group of people. Guess what happens to you? You start talking like them. You start dressing like them. You start acting like them. I always tell my, my kids, you know, you lie down with the dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas, you know? <laughs> It's just how it is. Like you think, well, I'll share the gospel with them and I'll, you know, be godly with them and I'll, I'll convert them and they'll, they'll go to do the right thing. That's not usually how it goes. Usually you end up following them into doing the wrong thing. And so Paul's saying, he's warning us against this. Don't be conformed to this world. You got to resist that. You got to fight against that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we see it with the people that we, we hang around. We even experience it with the way the world's marketing engines tell us, you know, now even what's right and wrong. Somehow the world's corporations are now like have a moral compass and are, are trying to teach us, you know, what is right and what is wrong. Even in this grand month that we're in of being prideful about sexual immorality and homosexuality, you know, everyone's just jumping on that bandwagon. The world's trying to, to teach everyone, you know, what is right and what is wrong. And it presses in all around. And if you're not careful, you'll just find yourself following right along with it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's not like that for the church of God. Don't be conformed to this world. You've got to resist that. You be conformed to this word. Not the world. If what the world is trying to get you to do doesn't conform to this word, you stand against it in love and humility and meekness 
not with hate and violence, but you got to stand against it. Don't be conformed to this world. Resist all those inputs. You know, in any one day, we're bombarded with hundreds of inputs through our phones, our televisions, our radios, our computers, a whole host of other devices. Think about it, like you went back in time, you know, 100 years ago, they had paper and pen. And how many inputs were really, were you, were you processing? Like think of all the, the hundreds of inputs our brains are processing now. So this is more accelerated in our age than it ever has been in human history. We're processing hundreds of inputs all the time, just simply scrolling that phone all day. So you, you've got to be careful or you'll be finding yourself just going right in with that flow. You're going to go with the flow. And the Bible's telling us, no, don't go with the flow. Don't be conformed with this world. So we're taught here to love all and worship one. Love all and worship one. These are all the little ways day by day the world pushes into our minds to conform us to its sinful ways. And so we take our thoughts captive, the Bible teaches us. Take your thoughts captive to Christ. Remember always that we are the Lord's children. We have a different standard to live by. Our ways should conform to the word of God, not the world. Remember that. And he says in verse two, do this that you may discern what the will of God is. <clears throat> now, what does he mean by that? You know, I hear people all the time, like, I, I want to know what God's will is. What is God's will? I, I want to know what God's will is. And they're really stressed about it, kind of constantly looking for God's will. Like, what is God's will? Well, it starts with his word. So the first thing I'll say to that is, you know, you want to know what God's will is, get into God's word. And a lot of times we overcomplicate it. God simply wants us to love him and love others. Right? Let's love. So let's let love be the motivation. And let's let love guide us and his word guide us. And what he's telling us here is you've got to discern what the will of God is. It's not a, a list of ethical behaviors. We're not meant to simply rely on lists of ethical commands. God's given us a heart and a mind and his word to, to be you know, the parameters to guide. And we use our minds, this renewed mind, to discern what God's will is in any situation. We test it and we approve it in all these different circumstances. There's, there's no checklist for the Christian life. I, I've given you a brain. You can use it for this. I've given you a mind. I've given you my word. Use it. Have discernment. Think on these things. Is the teaching here. There's no list of rules that you can just go to and check off. Okay, this is, this is what I do in, in, in the follow the Jesus adventure, right? I go, I check these off and I take that route. And sometimes, you know, people will say, you know, I've got this opportunity, this choice to make. And they lay it all out. And I'm thinking, well, you know, you could be, you could be choosing between good and good. God can bless either one of those. So don't stress so much about it. You know, pray, ask the Lord. And if you don't have a real clear answer, maybe you should wait. Or maybe you should choose one or the other. God can bless both. You're choosing between good and good. 
but he's given us a mind that we may discern what his will is. And we're able to know and do God's will and pursue it. We also see here that the path of self-sacrifice is the path of self-fulfillment. That's where he's, he's drawing us to. Here. That's where we're, we're driving to. Taking up the cross is the way to life, even though believing this and following through with it is, is never easy. So he's going to tell us now, if you want to know what the will of God is, if you want to do his will, it's going to be about serving others and sacrificing yourself in service to others. Self-sacrifice is the path to self-fulfillment. And these two verses together, you know, as I was reading them, I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's talking about really heart and mind, whole body worship. It really is an echo back to Deuteronomy 6. The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so here's what we do with, with verses 1 and 2. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. You present it to him as an offering. And don't be so well-adjusted to our culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Don't be like the culture around you. Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. But instead, get into God's word and renew your mind to understand what his will is for you. That is what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, let's look into what this looks like in our everyday lives in the next verses. And what's fascinating to me is that from verses 1 and 2, when I first read this, and I've read it a lot, you would think that presenting your body as a living sacrifice and transforming your mind to discern what the will of God is would be mostly about personal holiness and righteous living before God. And so you would think, perhaps, as I was thinking, that practical application of this would be go off to a mountain somewhere and live a holy and sinless life, read your Bible every day, all day long, and pray and chant and holy songs, you know, like a monk or something, right? That, I wouldn't have the world around me, right? Press in on me. I just go up to this mountain. Like this, People do this, right? They have monks and stuff that go and do this and Get away from the world and all these things and do holy things all the time, right? But it's fascinating to me. The way to being a living sacrifice, it's not that way. The way to being a living sacrifice is the way of humility, love, and service to others. Let's see what he says about that. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We'll stop there for a moment. So we as believers in Jesus, we're to strive for unity, which comes through humility. It's not about just going up to that mountain and being, you know, separate from everyone. Actually, we got to get into like church community with each other. We got to get into fellowship and relationship with each other. Our unity as believers is a recurring theme throughout the rest of this book. Now, what does it mean for us to think with sober judgment? In our context, what he's telling us to think is to think deeply about who we are and whose we are. He's saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Another, it's, it's, he's humbling us here. You know, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. You're not. You're not that great. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't be prideful in your thinking, which we all have a tendency to do. God's made, made each one of us special and has chosen each one who believes as one of his own. He chose us in him, remember, for the foundation of the world, before anything we ever did, he chose us. Not based on anything we ever did or even what he would foresee we would do. You know, some people will say, oh, he looked ahead and, and knew what kind of life you were going to live and all that stuff. <laughs> no, that's not how it works either. He chose us in him for the foundation of the world. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Remember from chapter 11, you know, we're the wild country cousins that have been adopted into the family. <laughs> we're not that we're not part of the, the royalty that are, you know, deserve to be at the table. It's not who we are. Now, he greatly expands on this teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to turn over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, often people will ask me, you know, what's the best commentary, you know, that you've read on this chapter or, you know, the Bible itself? And my answer to that is always the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Is the Bible itself. And so 1 Corinthians 12, you know, greatly expands on these few verses that we've got here uh, in Romans 12. So I want to read through them together because Paul preaches it better than I can. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 4. Because what he's talking to us here is giving us this body illustration. We're a body and individually members of the body. He's going to give us good detail into what that really means. How does that play out? What does that look like in the church of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So he's talking about unity now in the midst of all this difference. And variety. There's unity in diversity. And God makes that happen. <clears throat> to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I'm going to skip down a little bit. Then he gives this whole list of gifts. And so I, time doesn't permit to get into all these different spiritual gifts in detail. Skip down to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So you see the emphasis here? Many, one. Diversity, oneness. 
He's, he's making that very clear. He's repeating it over and over again. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. Oh, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so the main emphasis and thrust of the teaching is the unity of the church and service and care for each other in the body to build each other up. That's what he's driving towards here. You and I, brothers and sisters, we are all part of one body. And there are a lot of differences in this room. A lot of differences. We're all very different. You know, my, my kids will sometimes say, you know, well, that, that guy's weird. I'm like, man, we're all weird. <laughs> Just think about it, man. Like, we're all weird in our own way. Yeah, they're weird. I'm weird. People look at me and that guy's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm weird. We're all weird in our own way. So get used to that. Many members, one body. And all are very important and are needed and are special. Some of you are arms, some of you are legs, some of you are a heart. You know, that's the less visible part that he was talking about. Some of you are lungs, some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, kidneys, some of you are fingers, some of you are toes, some of you are little pinky toes, right? Little pinky toes important. Right? And when, when someone is, have, is successful and doing well, we all rejoice. And when someone's hurting, we all suffer. Think about it. You ever stub your little pinky toe? Man, that hurts. And you're yelling and you're like, oh. And you want to sit down. Like your whole body reacts to that stub little pinky toe. Right? And if that thing is hurting, it messes your whole day up. Right? Any little part, any little pain 
affects the whole body, doesn't it? Of course it does, right? And so what he's driving at here is not any one of these things is more important than the other. It's all part of the body and they're all necessary. They all affect each other. <clears throat> In this way, we're like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole. Now, the body we're talking about here is Christ's body of chosen people, the church. And each of us finds our meaning and our function as a part of this body, this church. And of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, you know, we wouldn't really amount to much, would we? No. We need each other. We desperately need each other. That's why the Bible tells us, you know, don't forsake gathering together as some do. It's important for us to be together. It's important for us to be in, in, in church community. It's important for us to share life with each other as the body of Christ. And we have unity and harmony in Jesus, despite our great and obvious diversity. Now, God has given each one of us gifts by his grace. That's where we're headed next. And these gifts are to be used for building each other up for his glory. Back to Romans chapter 12, look at verse 6. <clears throat> Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So each of us who believe in Jesus are given gifts by God to be used in this way in the body of Christ. And so <clears throat> he's saying here, servers, you should serve. Teachers, get out on teaching. Do it. Givers, give. Do it with cheerfulness. Do it with all the energy and skill you can. Notice the attitude of the heart in using our gifts to build each other up with generosity, with zeal, with cheerfulness, very positive attitudes. God's given each one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus a gift. Now, there are, are lists of gifts. There's a list here. There's a list in 1 Corinthians 12. There are various lists. They're not extensive, exhaustive lists. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't put those all on one sheet of paper and do some kind of test to see, you know, which gift you've got, you know, peg you into that hole. That's, that's not the intention here. He's giving examples of the gifts, but he's not, he doesn't want us to do that. Each one of us has a gift and you know what your gift is. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't really thought about it very much, but each one of us is given a gift. And basically, we don't use our gifts, you know, to serve ourselves, to build ourselves up and make a great name for ourselves. We use them to serve each other and do so with a, a spirit of, of, of cheerfulness, a spirit of worship, really, within our hearts as we, as we serve and show love to each other. 
So think about it. What, what gifts has God given you? Each one of us in this room have gifts. We have talents. They're God given to us. Which gifts has God given you? Think about it. Then think next, you know, are you using that gift? How are you using that gift? What are you doing with that? Yeah, he didn't give it to you to hide it away. He didn't give it to you to make yourself great. He's given you the gift, as we see clearly here from the context, and you read on in chapter 12, it'll be the next week. It's for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit, love, and service of others. So how are you using the gift that he's given you? How can you use your gifts to the benefit of all, especially those in your family and in the church? Think about it and ask the Lord about it. Maybe if you're not sure, you know, pray about that. God, what gift have you given me? Some of you are younger. You may, may not have discovered that yet. Some of us are older. We know what they are. Maybe we're using them. Maybe we're not. That's between you and the Lord. Now, remember, when we do this, when we like, when we live this out, this is what it looks like to be the living sacrifice. So I want you to come away from this message saying, yes, you know, we, we learned today from Romans 12 that we're to be a living sacrifice, not conformed to this world. Our minds are supposed to be transformed. And the way we do that is we understand the gifts that God has given us and we serve others in the church with those gifts. That's what he's just told us. That's how you become the living sacrifice. That's what it means. And remember that when you do that, it is well-pleasing to God when you do. This is how I make God happy. Some people think, well, I need to make God happy. So I'm going to like read my Bible for three hours a day. I'm going to pray for two hours a day. And you start putting all this stuff. I'll be super spiritual. The way to being spiritual is serving and loving others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, are you kidding me? That's hard. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard. I'm not, it's simple. But it ain't easy. We need God's help for that. Because <clears throat> think about it, right? What, what's your inclination is to serve yourself. Come on. I know that. I feel the same way too. You know, every day I fight against it. My first natural response is self-service. And, and if you're not walking with the Lord, you can't do this. Like you're just going to be living for yourself constantly. What do I want? What makes me happy? You know? Instead, like, what, a, you know, even, you know, start with your own family. Like, what does my brother want? What does my sister want? What can I do to make someone else in my family happy today? Just start there. Man, wouldn't our families be remarkably different if we started just right there at home? Instead of what can I do to annoy my sister today? What can I do to make my sister happy today? Or instead of what can I do to disobey mom today, what can I do to make mom really happy today? Right? Just start right in your home. Practice right there first, just to get some reps with it. <laughs> right? Then it becomes easier to take it out to, you know, people in the church, maybe in our neighborhood, our community. It's a, it's a whole mindset change of, 
you know, others focused, considering others more important than myself. That is a mind change and a heart change. <clears throat> Ask God to help you with that. That is how we present ourselves to God wholeheartedly, whole body, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And it, it makes God happy. Now, who doesn't want to make God happy? I want to make God happy. I hope you want to make God happy. It pleases God. Now, for those of you who have not believed in Jesus, you, you can't do this. I mean, you'll just try. You might do it on your own strength for a little bit, but you're not going to follow through a year over year over year with this. You won't. You'll run out of energy. You will burn out. You don't have it in you. Today, right. This is a God powered thing. Is a God-powered thing. So if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus, you, you need to do that today. You want to be that living, holy sacrifice acceptable to him. That starts with trusting in Jesus for your salvation. So I appeal to you by the mercies of God, believe in Jesus and be saved today. Now, for those of us who have trusted him, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to live this whole life of worship of Christ through humility, love, and service to each other. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. And when the world sees this kind of humility, love, and service in our church and in our families, they will know that we love Jesus and his name will be glorified and magnified, as Chris told us when we first started. Amen.